And the third six is an opportunity for you to find a new set uh, on a short-term basis. I'm Beatrice Collier. And I'm Georgina Wolfe. And this is the Pupillage Podcast, brought to you by Middle Temple and us, your hosts. Pupillage is traditionally divided into two periods. The first six months, when you're not yet on your feet and spend your days shadowing your pupil supervisor. And the second six, when some chambers will let you loose on real clients in real cases. But what if your pupillage does not end in tenancy? That is where third sixes come in. A third six is a further six-month period of pupillage that can be undertaken either at your original set or, as is more common, elsewhere. To tell us about third sixes, we spoke to three barristers who'd each completed third sixes in different shapes and sizes. Olivia Potts, author of A Half-Baked Idea, did her third six at her original chambers, while Alistair Richardson used his third six as an opportunity to take up an entirely new area of practice. But first, Ryan Turner gives us the lowdown on what to do if you find yourself staring down the barrel of a third six. Ryan did pupillage at a specialist construction chambers and then did a third six at Lamb Chambers, where he's now a tenant. A big welcome to you, Ryan, to the Pupillage podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. We would like to talk to you about your experience with your third six, because lots and lots of people don't get taken on following the completion of their pupillage. And it's really important, we feel, that people understand what, what their options are and what they can do next. Yep. So what happens if you don't get offered tenancy? What, what can you do next? Um, well, the, f- the first thing I'd, I'd say to people is, is don't be afraid. <laughs> it's, it's a thing that happens quite often. And I w- in my pupillage round, um, both pupils at my set didn't get taken on. Um, so it's not uncommon is the first thing. And, and just take stock of realising how far you've come on your journey towards the bar and that it's just a next step in the process. You're not going to fall out of the system just because you didn't get taken on. Um, and so take a, take a bit of stock and think about what you've taken away from your, your entire pupillage and say, do I want to carry on? Do I want to push on and try and find a third six? Or is the bar for me? You know, Because I do think you have to be realistic with yourself. If you really feel that you have crashed and burned or you've just not taken to it or whatever, um, there are other options out there to stay in the law but not necessarily at the self-employed bar. But if you, if you are still committed to the third six route, and get on the uh, the bar council website or the, the BSP um, gateway uh, just to start looking what's out there. The deadlines do come up very quickly, um, at the, at usually at the decision stage, June, July. Um, chambers are trying to snap you up almost two weeks after your decision, so do do sort of pivot quite quickly to, to getting ready. And I think it's worth saying, isn't it, that it's undoubtedly a big setback not being accepted for tenancy in the place where you've done your 12 months and you need to quite quickly regroup. Um, and I think that goes back to what you're saying, that that it's important to not be discouraged at this point, even though it's obviously a very discouraging thing that's happened. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I think... Um it's just, it is important to remember how far you are in the process and how how many people you sort of got past along the way, how many gatekeepers there are of getting pupillage in the first place, you know, getting through into even into your second six. Some people would say, stop you there. We don't want you to, to go. So if you've got this far, um, then it's a case of, yeah, you know, quite quickly pivoting and quite quickly regrouping. Um, but that doesn't always have to be a negative thing. That can actually be quite a positive moment. Um, to, to think about what you want 
for the next thing. You're not suddenly in a desperate situation. You're actually a highly qualified individual at a very select profession. Um, and you're still there. You're, you're still there with a very, quite a good fighting chance, I think, of, of finding 36. And, and there are lots of reasons not to be taken on, which actually don't really involve you, the pupil, because mm. uh, Barristers Chambers will recruit 18 months in advance. So it's very difficult to predict how much work there will be at the end. And you may find that you've been taken on during a time when there was plenty of work, but that by the time you come to the end of your pupillage, that work has dried up and there's there's been a change to fee structures or whatever has happened and some of an area of work has dried up. And therefore there isn't the work to take on a tenant. So there are all yes. sorts of different reasons why people aren't taken on that are not down to ability that uh, factors outside their control. Well, definitely. I, I think especially if you're looking at something like employment in the recent past, that the, the junioring work for employment really dried up for quite a time, so that puts a strain on, on the yes. changes model. And also uh, personal injury now with a lot of fixed fee work really driving down what chambers can actually achieve yes. um, in giving their juniors to, to, you know, to feel like they can actually give a, a junior space in their set. I think. Yes, yeah, I, I started practice when there were still conditional fee agreements in, in PI cases and there was a huge amount of PI work and then the, the rules changed about CFAs and chambers that were taking lots of pupils suddenly were not taking those that, yeah. that many pupils any longer. Mm. So I suppose that's, that's an interesting thing to think about when you're looking at your pupillage and you're looking at the area of practice that you want to do to think about how resilient that area of practice is is it subject to different fluctuations and what can you do to insulate yourself from them yeah definitely so in terms of pivoting quickly where do you need to start looking for your third sixes so there's the the third six gateway website which i think is the bar council i always get them and the bsb mixed up but on their website gives a list of deadlines and the, the things that the chambers require it, usually i found it was a covering letter and cv um, but it can be an application form. Some of them have their own sort of bespoke um, procedure. I did a bit more ringing around chambers um, because I didn't feel like I quite had the time to wait for things to get put on websites. And um, so managed to, you know, through speaking people through Middle Temple, I managed to sort of chat to a few people higher up in different chambers and say, look, can we go for a coffee um, to go and talk this out? And I found that quite, to be quite a, way, a useful way in to even figuring out what a third six was. Um, in the absence of this podcast, um, <laughs> uh, to, to kind of talk to different sets about it. So definitely the, the Bar Council website, um, but also don't be afraid to use the people you know, probably not from your set that you've not got taken on at, but certainly the, the wider bar, use your in um, to, to and, and even call up chambers. You know, I, I called up uh, about three or four sets just to say, can't see anything on your website. Uh, is something coming in the next couple of weeks or is it just a no or you know, even send a speculative. If you've got a, a real pitch to a certain set, um, don't be afraid. You know, uh, like I said before, you, you're, a, you're a highly qualified person. They might well be interested. They just might not have thought of it. From your own experience or that of others that you know, what sort of a reception do those cold calls get? Varied. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One was, um, we've not offered the third six uh, at any time in the last 20 years, and we're not about to start now. Um, <laughs> could have been a little polite. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it wasn't personal. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but then others, it was, um, we're not at the moment, but come for a chat, um, and that might change because they hadn't made their decisions on their main pupils, and they didn't think it was fair to start opening up that process. Um, and they then accepted the pupils and didn't take on. And then the third example is where went for a coffee and said, actually, yeah, let's open this up and bring you in for an interview and had an interview at a set that before 
the debt before and things going up weren't thinking of it and then and they did afterwards so. So, so in fact that is an example of you absolutely having created your own opportunity there yeah I, I would say, actually, if, if you have got on with a member of Chambers, if you're, you're close to your pupil supervisor, even if you weren't taken on, they might be a useful source. I've, I've certainly had phone calls from pupil supervisors of pupils who haven't been taken on, who've called me up and said, look, I've got this brilliant pupil. He or she wasn't for us for whatever reason. Would you speak to them? Are you offering third sixes? And mm. I, I think that's a really a, another really good way in. Yeah, it entirely depends on on the relationship you still have um, with your set because it can be a really difficult time, not just for you as the pupil, but especially with your most recent supervisor. Yeah, you know, the one who you're uh, sort of under his <laughs> under yes. his wing when it happens. It, it can be quite difficult. So as long as you feel like you've got that relationship, certainly use it. It's a valuable resource. Because I mean, after all, in in some sets there may be quite stark difference of views as to whether or not a particular pupil ought to be offered tenancy or Definitely. not. Um, Definitely. Obviously, you may not necessarily be privy to that, but if you have the sense to use your own judgment mm. as far as, as you say, mm. your, your relationships are concerned, then um, that person is probably going to really work quite hard on your behalf yeah. I because think they've invested in you personally already. Well, exactly, and I, th- I do think when it is a no in a... In, you know, when, when pupils aren't getting taken on, you will have had people in that room, in that meeting or in the report, fighting your corner. And it's trying to figure out who those people are. You know, who who do you feel like you did a good bit of work for? Who's spoken to you along the way? Who do you get on with most, you know, going for lunch with people from Chambers or whatever it is? There are people within that set who are going to be fighting your corner. And, and you know, don't abandon them just because they're part of, <laughs> part of a painful memory. They, 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 they're, going to, they're going to be in your profession um, at the end of the day. And... And actually, that's one thing I said to a few people is don't burn bridges at your former set um, because it can be, you know, quite easy to think, oh, screw them. They didn't want me now. Um, when actually you're going to be appearing them against, against them yes, in court in a few a years' very time. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, yeah, you might be being led by them and all precisely. sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, you did your pupillage at a specialist construction set. There are obviously very few specialist construction sets, and you've ended up somewhere that is not a specialist construction set. Did you feel limited to applying only to construction chambers or chambers that did some construction work? Um, I didn't treat it like that when applying for the 36s, but I do think that was a quite a big feature. Um, for me, yeah, because the specialisms were quite limited, you know, you could probably count it on one hand, the number that really do it, um, I tried to treat it as my USP for wider civil sets to say I can come to you with a bit of knowledge and I see that three or four of your members of chambers do this area of work already and can help you grow that was sort of the way I approached it because I was quite I was still quite keen on my specialism and am um, quite keen on trying to build a, a construction practice. Um, but it depends on whether you still whether you you know really want to keep your specialism. I think there are ways that you can move beyond it. You're not stuck. So, you know, if you're at a specialist employment set, for instance, there are ways of pitching that to say, but I really enjoyed the commercial side of the the employment work that I was doing and I want to learn more about that. Um, And also acknowledging that in your third six, um, if if you're at the junior end, you're not going to be handling the most complex of that specialism um, so you can pitch yourself as a bit more of a generalist at the moment with an interest in it. Say if you've you know, written an article or you, even if you studied at university, I still think nobody on a third six panel is going to consider you so specialist as you're beyond help <laughs> of, yeah. of, of moving to a new practice area because people do it in practice all the time, well, um, especially I, in the junior I was end. going to say, I mean, you're so junior that you have the advantage of 
flexibility. Mm. What you really need to be focusing on is how to make your pitch, so to speak, as genuine as possible. Because in the end, what chambers are going to be interested in are good barristers and your specialism can come. Um, But they, they want to feel that someone is committed to what they have to offer. Yeah, but also understands yeah, understands where they are in their career and what they can kind of bring to Chambers as well. I think um, you can suddenly start to think of it... Uh, don't, uh, the way I tried to approach it was not, this is another round of pupillage interviews. This is actually, I need to figure out what I'm going to be doing if I do get you know taken on here. Or You've got to figure out your place in the market a bit more than you do as a pupil. Because, you know, a pupillage, let's face it, in the first six months... You're just learning. You, you, you're not really, you know, pushing on a career as such. You're just learning. Uh, whereas a third six is a very different experience. You've got to be hitting the ground running in your work. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's a bit of a silver lining that if you haven't enjoyed an area of practice during your pupillage, it's an opportunity to turn away from that and to start doing something else. Definitely. And I've, and I've seen people do it quite successfully, you know, meeting other third sixes out in the last six to nine months. Um, who've changed practice areas quite quite drastically, um, moving into doing employment from a general commercial set, so the other way around to what I said earlier, but um, and one who was in a mixed crime and family um, pupillage has now moved to a broad civil set. Um, you know, so it goes from the mags court and, and some judicial review work to road traffic. Um, it can be done, and because you're not you're not highly specialised. You might have some good knowledge of a specialist area, but you, you've not become so siloed you can't work your way out. Yeah. So let's suppose you've identified the sets that you're going to approach. How should our listeners in this position go about applying? You mentioned earlier that some will have their sort of own bespoke application mm. process, but for others it's a covering letter plus CV. Is there anything in particular you think people need to focus on when putting together their CV for this specific purpose of a third six? Yes, I, th- I think it's less of a... So a CV that you would have attached to your pupillage application, I think is very different to the CV you attach to your third six application because um, they don't need to know about your swimming badge you got when you were 12 <laughs> that you might have felt was relevant, or, or even your GCSEs, unless they're asking for them. Um, which some of the forms really, you know, wanted to go back and get your dental records, I think. Um, (laughs) You know, you don't need to go back that far. Even A-levels might be a push. What they're looking at is, if I put this profile on our Chambers website, is this a person that fits in with what we're doing? What does your professional CV start to look like? Which is very different to your, I'm in training, you know, let me in. Um, It's very different to you know, it's almost a horizontal move. It's not a it's not a huge step up between them. So you're showing um, in practice, what did you do in your pupillage? I think that should dominate a lot of your CV. Um, was there a, a particular job you did just before pupillage, which is fed in to your sort of legal career? Did you work in a solicitor's office or something? Um, and also just around your pupillage, not the time you've spent with supervisors and the cases you've seen, but have you written any articles about things? Have you, um, you know, followed an interesting case that you've you've been looking at? Um, is it is an interesting way of doing it? I think, in a, and they'll want to see a professional CV not a, I'm really keen and I have been since I was 12 kind of CV, I think. Yes. Do you think there's any place for business development points to be made in your your CV at this stage? I I think I made them in my cover letter more than my CV. Yes. Um, And, you know, one of the big things I stressed in my my cover letter was I've been instructed by 
you know, three firm solicitors and every single one of them came back. And I think that's something that James would be very interested in seeing. But in the, on the business development side of things, I suppose writing articles and doing anything, you know, published is, um, is in essence marketing. Yes. So that can go in to show that you do it. But I think you can flesh it out a bit more in the, in the cover letter than the CV. Moving on then to references. Do you need references? You certainly do. Um, and I think actually you've already referenced the, the phone call that can happen. It, it might not be as formal as the written reference, but you'll certainly need one. Um, and a lot of the time it'll be from a, a former pupil supervisor that's the most convincing reference because they've seen you in practice. Um, and, you know, unless you've, you've had a bad experience with your most recent one, I'd say the, the more recent, the better, because they'll have seen you at your best. You know, hopefully you've progressed through the pupillage in your skills and um, in your abilities so try with them, uh, or if there's somebody, you know, if there's been a, a mentor that has particularly helped you during your pupillage throughout, they might be the person to give a reference. Um, I had two people uh, in chambers giving me references for third six, um, but you know, if if they ask for a non-chambers reference, I'm sure the inn will be able to. If you've met somebody at the inn that you're close to or something can be quite helpful but yet you certainly will need a reference yeah i i have both written references for third sixes and i read references for third sixes when we're recruiting and one of the things that impresses me on those references and i try to write on my own ones are an explanation of why that person wasn't taken on and if it was because of a problem with a piece of work or whatever it may be how they've gone about resolving it Mm. and i've been impressed by pupils in the past who've said I know that I wasn't strong in this area, but I'm doing this now and I've, and I've since done this and I've changed this. And that can be really impressive on a reference. That, that can really make a difference because I think there's a tendency of referees to not want to, to talk about the elephant in the room, as, as you called it. Do you think that you should ask your referee or talk to your referee about, about that? Um, again, it depends on the relationship. I don't think you should be bringing it up and saying... And you need to put in there that, you know, this is this is what happened. Because, you know, had we all know had that not happened, I'd have been kept on. Yeah. I think it needs to it's yeah, it, it needs to be a conversation with them. You know, think about are they a person you want to give your reference first and foremost. Um, but talk about what goes in it and why you're applying to the, the the set your third sixing at. Because a chamber's picking up a reference, I'm sure, wants to see, and I think they'd be a good lawyer in this area. Um on the you know a tailored reference i think is quite a helpful thing if you can do it um because mine got you know a different draft depending on where, where i was asking them to send it yes or even a different person you know i i said i had two people giving references it would depend on the set whether i said oh can you do it or can you do it um because they might have wanted a more junior voice or they might have wanted a you know really heavy um construction focus um but yeah, I, I think have the conversation and it should be somebody you can have a conversation with, your referee, I think, because they're, they're not just judging the written work you've handed in, they're judging your aptitude at the part that, you know, in the profession. So hopefully uh, you'll have someone who you can have a conversation with before they put pen to paper. At this stage, you need some honesty, really, don't you? You need yeah. someone who's going to be able to um, sort of truthfully and constructively help you onto mm. the next bit yeah who can have that conversation with you and then pass that on in a positive light to to the other chambers i think yeah what, what about um clients that you have worked with it during your second six do you think they're people who it might be useful to approach for a reference i didn't but if you've if you've if you've built up a relationship with a solicitor in that six-month period, I mean, I don't think I quite had the opportunity to do that. But if you if you did and, and you've spoken to them, 
um, especially if they've supported your application for tenancy, um, which happens quite a lot. You know, your clerks will, will chase around for the solicitors you work for for a reference. Um, if they're comfortable to do it, then certainly, um, especially if you think it would be if those solicitors would come with you. Uh, it might be quite big-headed to think of people can drag a solicitor, but if it's a personal relationship, you might be able to. So if you, again, it's a horses for courses thing. If you feel like you have that relationship and it is genuine, it's not just bluff to say, oh, you know, I'm going to bring with me, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of work. If, if you do have a relationship, I think you can only benefit by using it. So you touched on interviews and how you need to be ready to answer the question why you weren't taken on. Mm. Are third six interviews like pupillage interviews? Um, yes, but I think they're slightly less top-down than a pupillage interview is. What do you um, mean by that? Well, so f- for me, a pupillage interview is you've got a table of, of gatekeepers who are saying, are you entering the profession? I've said it a few times, but, uh, you know, are you entering our profession? Are you going to hit the grade? And are you then going to fit in here? Which is why you usually have two rounds of interviews uh, for pupillage you'll probably only have one round for your third six interviews and it'll be they, they don't need to really grill you on um the competency questions because they know that's already been done when you got the pupillage in the first place it'll be um questions about if you're changing specialism why are you doing that the the, the why didn't you get kept on there, there may be some advocacy exercise involved especially if you've come from a Specialist set that they know you won't have done much advocacy, um, and if you're going to say a, a crime set or something for your third six, they'll definitely want to see you on your feet because you'll be on your feet from day one in third six. Um, but it, but I think that the questions that certainly I got when I I think I had three or four interviews were much more about if a third six was offered um, and you were here. Um, do you understand the sort of work you'll be doing at this set, which you can do by research, by talking around? Um, why have you changed your specialism, or can you keep that? Why do you get kept on? And um, almost a little bit, do you, are you keen on this set, or have you just applied here out of desperation? <laughs> um, which, so, which does ha- which does happen. I know it sounds yeah. silly, but I think um, when third six apl- applications are going off, I think sets are aware that people might have just pinged this application off and said, I just want to keep practising. Um, and it needs to be genuine. You need to really know why you've applied to that set when it comes to the interview. So, so let's ask about a couple of those then. Mm. Um, let's, let's ask about the elephant in the room question then. Yeah. How do you deal with the question that's put to you, well, why weren't you taken on? I think you've got to know the answer yourself. Uh, and that takes That's some doing. That's a pretty good point, yes. And, and that, but that takes some doing. I think it does yes. take a lot of, of self-reflection and getting feedback from others. So that's the, the interview prep I think you need to put in with yourself is, you know, sit down and have a think about it and talk to others. But in terms of answering the question, um, I think you can pitch it of saying, my whole pupillage experience was a learning experience. It took me a while to get a grip on this. And I think that really held me back in my first couple of reports with supervisors. And I've now worked on that such that I turned around a piece of work. It, it's um, situation, task, uh, action, response. Is what the, I was always... The star, the star met, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that can, that's a really helpful way of answering that question because if you can diagnose what the situation was, how you had to improve on it, and that either you already did show improvement but not quite enough, um, or you now know what you need to do. How do you avoid appearing defensive... 
because yeah. it seems to me that being defensive is definitely not the way to go. It's definitely not the way to go. Yeah, it takes coming to terms with it a bit more. If you, if you feel naturally defensive, even talking about uh, talking about it amongst your peers, it's going to be even more difficult when you're under the spotlight of an interview. Um, so I, I don't know what you can do in that moment other than reassuring yourself that even again, in you know, just before you're about to go in for your third six interview, somebody wants to offer you a third six at that moment, you know, and it's a case of proving them right that the person they've seen from your CV or on your cover letter, they wanted them then, be that person who's on that cover letter and CV, I think. Yeah. So you've aced your interview and you've been offered a third six and you're about to start. How should you go about handling that third six? Um, get in touch with the chambers that have offered you and ask if you can go for lunch um, with some of the juniors there or even some of the people who took third six at that set. I think because without that, you're not quite going to know what's expected of you within the set. Um you're going to be on your feet a lot, one would imagine, unless you're going to a specialist set, you're going to be on your feet a lot. Um, so get a travel card. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, certainly speak, speak to junior members before you're there um, so you're not scrambling around in your first week. Um, and also just try and get as much of a grip on what that set is doing, not only in third six, but first-year juniors, second-year juniors, third-year juniors, um, so that when you're starting to talk about people's practice, you then know who to go to if you've got a query. Because especially for me, moving from a very specialist area to a much broader civil, you know, the first thing I did was um, a stage three assessment of damages hearing. I didn't know what stage three was. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what the RTA um, protocol was. I didn't. You, you just don't know these terms. And this is the first you know first and second year juniors second language you know they they know this already there's no point in you pouring over a textbook if you've just spoken to them and said i've got this coming up and you're not going to somebody who ex- practices exclusively in a property you know who's who does those hearings so actually there's the sort of personal touch is really important in the third six because in the first six you're you're given your pupil supervisors and you spend a lot of time in chambers shadowing other people mm. you don't have that advantage in the third six so you've got to get to know members of chambers as quickly as possible so that you know who to turn to to ask different questions and so that you give them enough information about you and who you are as a person that they can then make a tenancy decision at the end. Definitely. And, and, and they're going to be keen to meet you before you start, um, certainly, because, again, you know, it, for them it's an opportunity um, as, as much as it is for you, I think. And then in your first week, do tread the boards a bit. You know, get, get and meet as many of them as you can, as quickly as you can. Yeah. Um, if there's an offer of going to lunch generally across chambers, go. <laughs> That's Just, really good advice. Yeah, I, I think... I think sometimes, especially if your confidence has been significantly locked, it can feel like I just need to consolidate and I just need to not mess up. Sometimes I've had people who moved on to their third six saying, well, I've just got to keep my head down now. I've just got to, you know, make sure my work product is good. And actually, it's a, it can be broader than that. You've got to build relationships with people really quite quickly. It seems to me from what you're saying, Ryan, that something that it's critical to appreciate if you're undertaking a third six is that you really do need to be proactive. Yeah. And, and, and proactive in both senses. Proactive in, in going to your clerks and saying, I'm keen to do as much as I can here. I want to learn as much as I can in this six-month period. But also then being proactive with the people at your set and socialising, you know, getting to know them on a, on a deeper level so that when the decision comes down the line, they've certainly at least met you and, and had a few conversations with you and say, this is a person I want 
around me for the next 20 years or however long it's going to be. Lord Judge, in our first series, told us about his troubles and difficulties getting tenancy. Um, and it strikes me that actually it is, it's such a valuable experience going through this. It really makes you grow as an individual. It makes you grow as a barrister. Um, do you look back fondly on your third six? I do, actually. Yeah, it was really, really good fun. Um, you know, going around Romford County. I mean, I've got a lot more stories from my third six than my second six. Um, I can definitely say that. And yeah, I, I, I do look back on it with fondness. And I think, yeah, it, it, it has led me to a much broader base of work. Um, it's led me to see a different side of the bar. I just don't think I'd appreciate it was even there, really, um, in, in quite a specialist set. So, yeah. I'm not saying I'm encouraging people to go into a third six, accept <laughs> your offer of tenancy if you get one, but, but a third six, is, it's not the end of the world and actually it can lead to a much richer experience of, of knowing the sort of wider bar, I think. Ryan, thank you ever so much for coming on to the Pupilish podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks. You know, if you're at a, a big commercial set, um, you'll probably be in court in your second six. When you're allowed to be in court, you, you probably only get in, I got in there six times in six months. Um, whereas in my third six, because I was at a much more broad civil set, three, four times a week. Um, so it really can change pace quite quickly. So, And it goes back again to thinking about what set you'd apply to for your third six, saying, what did I want to get out of my pupillage? Did I not get it at the kind of set? Should I apply to a similar looking set to where I've been? Um, and, and so, yeah, the third six does change pace um, depending on your practice area. Our next guest, Olivia Potts, talks to us in the alternative careers section about her career as a cordon bleu chef. However, she also did a third six, so we asked her to come on the third sixes episode to tell us about that. Olivia, welcome to the Pupillage podcast. Thank you for having me. So you did a third six at the same chambers that you undertook pupillage. I did. And is it right to say that that's actually extremely common at the criminal bar? Yes, I, I think it's possibly becoming more common to do longer pupillages from the get-go at the criminal bar. But when I did mine, it was 12 months initially. And then when I got to the end of the 12 months, I was asked if I'd like to stay on for another six months as a formal third six. And that's pretty horrendous. You get to the end, you're <laughs> hoping for a tenancy decision. Yeah. And you're told that the goalposts have, have moved. Yes. But, but that, unfortunately, is, is the way it sometimes goes at the criminal bar. Yes, and I think... The, the way it was set out to me and certainly the way I took it was that um, it put me in a, in, a, in a position of advantage because I already knew the people who I was trying to win round. I knew that some of them had been won round but not all of them and I knew the exact areas in which I had to improve. So rather than starting from scratch in, in another set of chambers... Um, I knew, I knew the bits that were sort of sorted <laughs> and the other, the other bits that um, perhaps needed more work over those coming months. And did you know that because you were, were told or did you have to ask? No, I was, I was told and it was set out very clearly, uh, kindly, but very clearly to me that by taking the third six, it, wasn't, um, it was by no means a done deal that I would get in um, at the end of the 18 months. It was, if you have improved in these specific areas, which we will set out to you, you are very likely to be taken on. Okay, so how did you go about making sure that you hit those targets? For Well, well for me, the, the things that I was asked to work on were written work. Um, I, the, the skills that I had are are good for a criminal barrister. I, was, I had good advocacy, generally, um, and I was good with clients and solicitors, and uh, I was good 
last minute on my feet with the off the cuff stuff that, that is obviously quite a large part of the criminal bar. Um, what it meant I had to do, which I hadn't really succeeded in doing in my 12 months, was carve out proper time to give thought to the opinions or research pieces that I was doing for members of chambers. Um, perhaps targeting particularly gnarly areas to show that I had those skills or that I had improved those skills. And how, in other ways, did your third six differ from your original pupillage or didn't it? Um, I think there were, there were probably two ways that it differed for me. The first was that we took on another two 12-month pupils at the time when I started my third six. So you are no longer the absolute baby of chambers. So you don't have to panic about that as much. People, people know you. Um, and I think knowing that I was pretty all right on my feet and that solicitors were in my corner uh, took that pressure off. I mean, you're, you're still going to court every day and you're still at that stage coming up against new stuff all the time. You know, there are still nerves and panic. But it, it wasn't that slightly... Um, stressful area of pupillage where every single thing is brand new and also incredibly important and it can feel a bit overwhelming so for my third six I was I was able to take a step back and analyze how I was coming across as a pupil um in a way that I simply hadn't been able to when I was a 12-monther. What did you think the particular challenges of the third six were and how did you overcome them? I think Although there were real advantages to having been there for 12 months, um, you know that there are people in chambers who have not been convinced by you. Not coming to it fresh is both a good and a bad thing. And uh, I found that quite difficult to get my head around. I I like people to like me. Um, And I I suspect they probably did like me personally. And and if they didn't, it might be irrelevant. But there were people who who didn't think at that stage I was good enough. Um, And coming to terms with that and pushing through it and, and trying to show them that I was good was um, was probably more of a mental task than anything else. And also you're just juggling a lot more. You know, you're, you're suddenly doing a full bank of cases. You have ongoing clients. You're, you're seeing them again and you're going back. By that point, I was doing Crown Court trials, not many of them, but a, a handful. Um, so my work had become a bit more serious in that relative um, context and making sure you're devoting work the right amount of time and the right amount of work in the right places was a little bit more of a balancing act. Can or should you ask a chambers, if you're in that lucky position of being offered a pupillage, should you say to their chambers, oh, am I likely to be offered a third six at the end? Is that something that you as a chambers do? Or do you think actually better not to ask at that stage? Um, sitting here now, I would definitely say ask. Um, I know that when I was around, there were chambers who would pretty routinely give third sixes without laying that out from the get-go. They would know that that was going to happen, but pupils wouldn't, and you might end up doing a two-year pupillage when you'd, you'd plan to do a 12-month. I think I don't think that's fair on a pupil at all. I would want to know that. Having said that, you are coming to a new set of chambers. You are trying to impress. It's a really stressful... Um, I mean, getting people are just stressful. And once you've got your hands on one, you don't, you don't want to sort of start asking the awkward questions. But you are doing a job and you are hopefully going to be there for the rest of your professional life. And obviously, I wasn't, but most people are. Um, and I, th- I think it shows a degree of reality and intent to be able to say, 
how does this work? What is your system? How formalised is it? I think I would have found it really hard to ask that before I started pupillage. But I think if you possibly can, it is only to your benefit. Brilliant. And do you have any advice for somebody who finds themselves facing a third six at the end of their pupillage? Um, I think it's easy to see a third six pupillage as a bird in the hand. And in many ways it is. Um, But you have to look back at your 12 months and work out whether or not it is the chambers you want to be in. Because you are giving more of your training time, more of your um, lack of stability to this chambers. I was very lucky. I knew that that was the chambers that whilst I was at the bar I wanted to be at. Um, So it was a bit of a no-brainer. But don't just take it because it's offered and it seems like it might be the easiest way to get tenancy. You've spent 12 months there. Do you enjoy it? Do you want to be there for the foreseeable future? And if not, maybe take a deep breath and look elsewhere. Brilliant. Olivia Potts, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Alistair Richardson was called to the bar in 2006 and is a barrister at 6KBW College Hill. He's primarily a criminal practitioner specialising in white-collar crime, fraud, money laundering, director's disqualifications and associated regulatory work, as well as terrorism and homicide. We invited him onto the podcast for this episode to cast his mind back to pupillage and to tell us about his third six. Very big welcome, Alistair. Good morning. Alistair, you did your pupillage in a commercial set of chambers. How was that? I did. I hated it. Uh, <laughs> the people there were absolutely lovely. Um, and uh, almost all of them, I thought, were um, great barristers and, and really nice people who I enjoyed spending time with. Um, but I loathed the work and it made me absolutely miserable. Um, and I remember one particularly depressing day walking along Fleet Street um, in tears on the phone to my mother thinking, what have I done? Um, bemoaning my sort of former um, career working in Parliament where I would run off to at every given opportunity for lunch or a drink to try and cheer myself up. And did you realise quickly that commercial law wasn't for you? I think it took a little bit of time. To start with, I thought it could be due to the unfamiliarity with the work. Um, It was one of those things, it was a bit chicken and egg. I don't think I was very good at it. I don't know if that was because I didn't enjoy it. Um, Probably a bit of both. And as the year went on, I just realised it wasn't for me. So what happens at the end of your pupillage then? Uh, At the end, I think they knew it wasn't for me. I knew it wasn't for me. And so that was that. Um, And I started thinking really about what my next options were going to be. Um, I I really thought that was going to be an end of the bar for me at that stage because um, it it was a a set that on the face of it had been a good fit for me. Uh, It was somewhere I started to make a a, a good living. Um, And so that I thought was going to be that. And I started looking at at Magic Circle firms and solicitors to, um, to go there. Um, and I applied to a few and was made an offer by one firm, um, which I thought was going to be depressing, but well paid at least and secure and with all the backup you get at a firm like that. So um, I then uh, met, met up with a friend who said, but you always wanted to be an advocate. Why don't you have a go at applying to sets of criminal chambers? So I thought I would. Um, and I did. And to my surprise, one of them made me an offer. And so I thought, well, I better give it a go. Um, and however many 
12, 13 years later, I'm still there. Um, poor then. Did you enjoy the criminal bar from, from day one? Did you realise that this was where you belonged? I did. Um, it was tougher in the sense that uh, from day one, financially, it's much more difficult. And I, I, I come from a set where the pupillage award was, frankly, massive, um, to uh, a set where you're earning um, little money to start with, or at least you were when I applied. Things are quite different now. I think we I think they're worse now, aren't they? <laughs> well, actually, not not with us. Generally, at the criminal bar, they are. But for us, we've massively upped our pupillage award because we want people to be able to come and concentrate on their work and do it and enjoy it. And we know they'll make a living, and we know the investment is worth it, um, and the people who come to us. But um, yeah, I knew it was a fit straight away. Um, I was looking at the people who were ahead of me, at their careers, at the work they were doing, and I thought, that's that's what I want. I do want to be there. I love the people there. Um, and everything was just a fit in a way that it hadn't been before. Although I liked the people, I didn't look at any of them and think, I want your practice or I want your life. So when you embarked upon your third six, can you explain what how did you approach it? What did you need to do in those six months in order to be offered tenancy? And how did you go about doing it? So I was really lucky. Um, my pupil supervisor was very proactive and he sat me down pretty quickly and said, right, um, you've come from a civil and commercial background, um, so you don't know any crime. <laughs> so these are the topics. And he just gave me um, a list of topics that I, I needed to sort of go away and look at and kind of steer me in the direction, let me lent me some books. Um, but my, and I, I really had no knowledge of crime. I had um, at law school and bar school dodged all the criminal options that I could because I knew it was going to be of no relevance to my practice as things stood. Um, so I was teaching myself a whole new area of law. Um, so that was um, the first challenge. Um, to give you an idea, my only experience, l literally my only experience of the criminal courts before I came to 6KW um, was a magistrate's court trial I did at my previous set of chambers. Um, and I had to phone up a friend on the way to say, what on earth do I do? And he suggested that I go into the court beforehand to watch other cases going on. So I just had some idea of how things worked. Well, that sounds like jolly good advice. Um, so I did. And um, having met my client and his family, um, I proudly said to them, right, let's go in. Um, you can familiarise yourself with the court. <laughs> uh, and I marched them in and proceeded to walk them um, and their son, the defendant, into the dock and sit down <laughs> in the middle of someone else's hearing. And the usher had to come over and say to me, um, what are you doing? <laughs> just, just watching. <laughs> we had to be ushered back out. So I had no, really no knowledge of crime. So I had to teach myself a bit, um, learn quite a lot by doing, I think in the same way in reality that everyone does when they start practice. Um, it's so different when you go out to court and start doing it yourself. You realise how little you do know, even from having watched other people or been in the room. You, ju you just don't really know very much, do you? Um, so it's the same learning um, and then uh, in terms of getting taken on and concentrating on that, um, making sure I had done work for the right people, talking to my pupil supervisor about who those people were um, to identify, you know, that if you tick off this person, you'll get those five votes. That's what, as simple as that. There was, there was a chunk of politics in it. Um, and I remember 
spending nights with a, a fellow pupil um, who was six months behind me back in the day when we used to have a lot of pupils. Um, and she and I would sit in our um, sit in my garden um, late at night drinking rosé, working through the list of the members of chambers who would vote for me and who wouldn't um, and who, who else I needed to get. Um, so it was quite, yeah, I, it was sort of targeted and deliberate. Have I got their vote? Have I not? And if not, how am I going to get it? So you've got to be strategic. It's not just about going to court and doing the work. You've got to win the hearts and minds of your, your hopefully future colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. You need to identify the selection criteria for the place you're applying to. Yeah. And you need to identify what's going to bother them. Um, so in criminal law, there will be some sets who will be really impressed that you can um, keep public, publicly funded defence solicitors happy, um, that you can bring work in for them and so on. Um, and that will be important to them, in which case you want to play out the references. Um, at my place, it's not about that. Um, you know, it's about making sure you're um, demonstrating your ability to do the work to other members of chambers. So, so you just, it, uh, frankly, as I say in the court case, identify what you're trying to meet and then meet it. And it, it struck me both in the course of making this podcast and talking to my friends at the criminal bar over the years that in crime, it's much more common to do third sixes than it is in other areas. In crime, it's not exactly standard, but you may find you get to the end of your pupillage and rather than having a tenancy decision, it's extended for a third six within the same set or you'll be you'll go around to different sets and do third, third so, sixes, fourth sixes. So thinking about coming here today... Um, I was trying to work out, and I think at my set of chambers, and without mentioning down too dreadful, we're, we're acknowledged to be one of the best sets of criminal chambers, if not the best. And a third of us are um, third, were third six pupils. Um, and then I think of the remaining two thirds, another sort of third um, came from were sort of lateral hires, I think we're meant to call them. Um, so, you know, people who started out at other places and we've pinched, um, thinking they're quite good and we'd like to have them at our set. So there is definite movement at the beginning of careers. It's really, really common um, to do a 36 pupillage in crime. And and I can think of recent years where we've, we've got some really, really great people who we would... Um, who, who, through third sixes and we'd be really upset not to have them in chambers um, so it shouldn't in crime certainly be seen as um, the end at all it's about finding the right fit thinking of other members of chambers who have done third sixes most of them it's not been a question of their ability it's been a question of them finding the right fit and, and different chambers do have different character. And have you seen people do the opposite of what you did, going instead of going from commercial civil work into crime, have you seen people who've come to you and actually thought, you know what, I want to do something more commercial, I want to do civil work, I, you know, I don't want to be doing crime. Yeah, and, and I have. having that change so, of career. So um, a contemporary of mine in chambers uh, moved not long after he was taken on, he moved to a, a civil set of chambers, um, I think that was around particular pressures of the nature of the work that we were doing at the time that don't really apply anymore. What we tend to see more is people who um, will go to firms as solicitors uh, if they realise that just the bar is not for them. And that might be around job security, um, you know, the ups and downs of the profession, not, not actually really liking being self-employed. 
um, more than anything else. So we, we, yeah, you do see movement both ways. Yeah. Is there any other advice you'd give to people who are thinking about third sixes? Once you start your third six, get to know members of chambers. Um, I got some very wise advice from a man who sadly died a little while ago that no one's going to vote for you if they don't know you. Um, and I think that's absolutely right. Ali, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. On the Pupilage Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Pupilage Podcast with us, Beatrice Collier and Georgina Wolfe, brought to you by Middle Temple. Production support and music by Alex Doppirala. Please check out the show notes for more on our guests, links to sources of information and a glossary of terms used in each episode. 